So welcome. I'm very, very excited. This could be interesting. We've got Joe Baldwin Trot here, who's uh, the the driving force. Well, she might disagree with that behind this fantastic new book, Being Fine, that's coming out. Um, written by men. Yeah, it is aimed at aimed at men. We have got one uh, female contrib contributor, but right excited because I'm going to get to meet. I'm one of the authors of one of the chaps. I'm get to meet somebody I've never met before. Right, so it's always interesting. It's the Reverend uh, Casey L. Corbin Senior. I'm going to get. We're going to have a little chat about uh, mental health, really. But here's my first question for you, Casey. Okay. What does the L stand for? So it's Casey L. Corbin Senior. What is the L short for? Or is oh, it just stand for L? I can knock that one out of the park. Lanier. Lee, what's that again? Lanier. Oh, very good, right. So that's a heck of a name. I've only got Steve McNamara. So for those who don't, for those who don't know, we've got a motivational, professional motivational speaker from Yorkshire in the north of England here. And a, a motivational speaker, where, where are you, Casey? Where, where are you based? Uh, I was in Atlanta. I am now in Savannah, Georgia. Very nice. Right. So what time of day is it in your part of the world at the moment? It is one o'clock, well, two o'clock p.m. Yeah, well, thanks for thanks for joining us, right? So we were just before we went live, and, and we were uh, having a quick chat, like you do, a little technical thing, me and Joe. And we were saying when when Joe first had the idea for this book, and I don't know when you first can you remember Joe when you first had the little first like uh, nugget acorn of an idea for this? When was it? It was it was kind of when this all started. So so. The beginning of this year, actually. Yeah. Okay. So beginning of this year. Now, of course, back then, even before all this started, I think none of us, and I'm sure it's, you know, if we read the papers, uh, it's the same in the states. None of us knew really what this ride was going to be like, or indeed how long it was going to go on mm. and go on. So we were just saying that it was never. I don't. If you'd agree with this case, I'm sure you would. A bigger need for a book like this. Yeah. Because there's probably even more people and okay the focus is on men getting to talk about how they feel but let's include everyone in this who are going to need some help so what my next serious question really is uh, what's your um purpose or uh, driving force for getting for getting involved in a project like this where, where do you see it and why do you think it's important my my purpose of driving force for getting into a work like this is my own life's experiences and how I moved from feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and worthlessness to feelings of hope, power, and value. Yeah. yeah. And what was it, without giving away too much about what your chapter might be on, we can touch on it. Uh, so, what was that moment of truth then? If you could, maybe you could just give us a little synopsis of so that the, the viewers can go, oh, that was where I was. This is the kind of moment of change. It might not have been a moment. And how you turned it around just give us an insight into what happened to you then yeah uh my my moment of truth came from hitting rock bottom steve and i was addicted to drugs and alcohol at a point in my life from ages i think i began at age 12 up until age 24 and a couple of horrendous events took place in my life where i was a volunteer victim and i brought other people into my addiction involuntarily and on one occasion the the big turning point for me in my life was when i brought my daughter 
into my addiction. She was, right. an, she was an involuntary victim. She didn't ask to be there. And that was the big turning point. I knew at that point I had to do something. Right. Yeah. Um, now I'm assuming. So what, what was the thing? So your daughter was the catalyst that something had to change in your life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know how much you know about people from Yorkshire in the UK. But we like no, to think, right, well, we like to think, and I don't know the equivalent state in, in America will be, we like to think we're really practical people, right? Okay. Theories are well and good, isn't it? But I think for me, one of my, one of my passions for this book is to give people some practical advice yeah. so that so that they can relate to the experiences we've had. So again, what I'd like to do is just dig a bit deeper on so you said. Yes, so your daughter was when you had to go, well, I brought her in to my addiction as well. Right. If there was one piece of advice practically that people could take away if they were in a similar, maybe not the same situation, but something where they realise that what they're doing is impacting on just not themselves. Others, what would be that practical thing you would suggest based now being able to look back with the value of hindsight? The practical thing that actually led to the transformation? Yeah. That thing, it would be two things. Number one, in my addiction, again, of which I wasn't a volunteer victim. No one held the gun up to my head and, you know, I'm going to make you be an addict. No, it was by choice. And when I made the choice to lower my standards on life and vibrate at such a low level, the values that my mother and my grandmother taught me were like I just threw them all out the window. And so, you know, no, I had no restraints. And, you know, I just thought that I could live life pretty much free without any laws or restrictions. And so I did. Yeah. One, of the, one of the incidents was when I was using it. Yeah, it was at this point I was using with a couple of friends. And one of the friends that we were using drugs with and he died. His heart exploded. And we, you were there at the time? Yeah, we, we were there together. Yeah. And it happened, we were there together. It happened when we were all at my place. He left and the other guy left. He went to his apartment, which was right next to mine, the next building over. And about an hour later, the ambulance was coming. And when I went outside, much to my surprise, they were at his apartment just an hour later. And that's where, when he went in to lay down, you know, his his heart burst. And how wow. I, I, I was kind of rocked by that, you know, because it could have been me easily. Yeah. And yeah. The, the second thing that happened was I didn't just drink to drink. I didn't just get high to get high. I started getting high to the point, Steve, where I couldn't remember things. And I would have blackouts. And it wasn't nice. Not as I look back on it, it I thought it was cute then, but there was nothing cute about it. Um, there was a moment of uh, suicide, you know, suicidal attempt where yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just crazy, delirious, you know, out of my mind. And, and there was an incident where with my daughter's mom, a domestic dispute between me and her, and my six-month-old daughter got hurt. That's what I mean by I brought her into my addiction. Yeah. And I accepted 100% responsibility for that later on. You know, once I sobered up, I was afraid. I was scared because I, I didn't know to what extent 
I don't remember much, but what I do remember, I take a, a responsibility for it all. And so those two things, you know, were the right. thing, the turning point for me. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there, correct me if I'm wrong, is mm -hmm. that, um, well, what we've not talked about, actually, this question I guess all the time. So again, without going into my story, because tonight's very much about yourself, uh, Casey. Right. Um, what people ask me all the time or quite a lot when I tell them because the whole point of this book of course is to be for men to talk about this topic that, that we find it very difficult to talk about or some of us do right, right. Um, and when you are brave if you call it brave uh, enough to start to have the debate the thing that people don't know about it say to you is what caused it now they go, what caused it? Or now I know you now. I can't believe that of you, you know, such a positive, motivational, uh, optimistic person. Right. So what I'm interested in what you've just said there is because I think um, viewers will be interested as well is, can you identify a cause that got you into that downward spiral? Was it just a set of circumstances that you found yourself in? Was it the people around you? What was the cause of getting you into that, that terrible situation you found yourself in, first of all? Yeah. And then... And then what was the moment where you went, so, okay, you said, well, yeah, your daughter was now getting impacted by it. You know, a friend had died. You mentioned your parents and I think your, your, your grandparents' values. Was it a case of just having that moment of clarity where you went, I have to go back to those important values that, that matter? So, so if you knew what got you into it, okay. what was the thing that got you out of it or helped you get out of it, do you think? Oh, yeah, I would be glad to share the cause with you. Please do. Yeah, the cause, Steve, I believe in retrospect, when I look back on my life, was I was born into conditions of poverty. Now, that's that's so many people's story. Yeah. You know? So many people are born into conditions of poverty. And it doesn't affect everybody the same way. I'm, I'm well aware of that. However, the effects that it had upon me. This is what I mean by I was born into conditions of poverty. Poverty comes with its own energy. Right. It comes with its own vibrations. It comes with its own characteristics and qualities. And it comes with its own bite. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it bit me really good. And so if being born into conditions of poverty, what I didn't know, and my parents didn't know, my grandparents didn't know, and I'm sure that their parents didn't know, was that from ages zero to six, the formative years of my life, those very delicate years where the subconscious is, is conditioned and programmed, is that I was being conditioned and programmed to those characteristics and those qualities. Now, in poverty, you see crime violence. I got to experience that. Yeah. Got to experience that at home. I got to experience it in the community and my peers. You know, I, I got to experience it with you know with other families. Also, anger is you, you see a lot of anger, you see a lot of frustration, especially when you, when a family is trying to squeeze fifty dollars out of a nickel, five cents. You know, and times are harder and it's difficult. And and a lot of <clears throat> anger is is expressed if people don't know how to live, is taken out on children. I yeah. was one of them. A lot of frustration is taken out on children. I was one of them. A lot of unnecessary pain 
and, and was taken out on children and I happened to be one of them. And I didn't know that I was being all day, every day, all week, every week, all month, every month, all year, every year for the first six years of my life, I was being conditioned with this low level of vibration of living and thinking. I got to saw I got to see drugs up front, close and personal, alcohol, alcoholics, what that looked like, drug addicts. I got to see what that looked like. I didn't know that this was going inside of me and it was conditioning me because I was experiencing this. Sure. Again, it doesn't affect everyone the same way, but that's the cause. Yeah. For me. I get that. So I get that. So there's some words you used a bit before that, which okay. was about I think you used the word responsibility. Yes. Um, so this is a mind read, but I'm guessing there might have been a moment when you realize, well, actually, unless you started to take some personal responsibility yeah. and accountability for your situations, you, you could continue to blame all those things that conditioned you from being young. Is that yeah. was that what happened? It is. It is. It is that the values that my mom and my two grandmothers gave yeah. me during the incidences, the two incidences that I mentioned before, those yeah. things began to come back to me when I thought that my life was unbearable. I couldn't live it anymore. And I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I can go to for help. I need help. I feel like I'm sick and I, I need a doctor, you know. And those things started coming back to me. And I said, you know, I wasn't raised this way. You know, I wasn't raised to be this person and I don't even know where he came from, you know, or how he got here. And so those thoughts, those ideas, and having been taken to church, you know, all of my childhood and those things start hitting me and questions of purpose. Why am I here? Right. You know, and what am I supposed to be doing? It can't be this. And those things started me to think, those just little things started just, just hitting, I mean, just tapping at me. And I couldn't escape them, not if I wanted to live. And at that moment, I had to take ownership of my life. I had to take responsibility, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a massive one, that. And I think it's a challenge if, I think, um if you look at um, a condition like depression, that's a hard thing to do, Ooh. you know, as a because it, it, it all feels like something that's happening to you, you know, and that seems to be our experience and was mine as well, that you have very little, if any, control over, you know. Yeah. And, and again, we're dealers in hope with this book, really. Uh, and I think part of my message to people is, uh, yours is more extreme than mine, although we all have these uh, unique experiences, is right. when people tell you that, you know, that all things will change and, and that, that it's somewhere in the future, even though you can't see it now in the depth of your uh, despair or challenges, things can change. That's that's the message I think that all the authors have in various ways. Mm -hmm. I think that it was like a theme that runs, I don't know if you'd agree, Joe, because Joe's had benefit of reading quite a few of the chapters, you see, whereas we've only okay. seen our own so far. Um, I don't know if you'd agree, Joe, that that's kind of one of the themes that runs through it all, that we all have this, even that things, I was told so many times that, you know, that things will get better. It's hard to hear that and believe it, but would you mm. say that's one of the main themes of the book, Joe? Yeah, I, I think so. That there, are, there are a couple of things, I think. Firstly, hitting rock bottom. Um, mm. I, I think that's definitely a common thread. And sadly, I think 
it takes us to hit rock bottom. Um, and maybe we, we almost touch the bottom and then we sort of dap back up a bit. And then, But it's when we really hit rock bottom. It certainly happened to me and it's happened to all of you as the authors. So when you get as low as you possibly feel and you, you hit a level that you never thought you could feel before, um, and I think that the forward thinking just feels like a Hollywood movie, right? Yeah. It's like, you yeah. know, my might well have George Clooney in it. That would be quite nice for me. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you just, I think it just feels like dreamland. So, so actually the two things that um, you said, Casey, are that the rock bottom and also suddenly you just thought, well, what, what am I here for? Mm. And I, 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 I know, six people who have committed suicide and i i just i feel that possibly possibly and bless them and we obviously have no clue but i feel that sadly the answer to that question for them on that subject of suicide is that they couldn't find a purpose but thankfully mm. thankfully all of you guys and i know some of you have reached to that rock bottom point and also considered that most terrible thing that we could do as a human, that something has kicked in and gone, hold on a minute, I'm here for something. You know, this there's a reason why I'm here and this isn't it. So I'm gonna get out of here and I'm gonna do something different. And I think that's it's just doing that tiny one thing that's different. And that is the trigger in all of your stories. There's something and thankfully, you know, some of you have literally met angels that have come into your path at a moment in time. And you have literally said, right, that's it. Something different. This is not happening to me. Um, it, it might you might wobble afterwards, but thankfully something has got you out at that moment. Um, mm. So they're definitely the, the two common threads that I, I really uh, see. So that's great. So let's let's jump in that um, time machine now, right? Okay. I've heard about all that um, challenging upbringing and then the, and the challenges you had and, and those stories. So so talk about. What what's life like today then from Casey? What what do you do these days, and what have you take? What are the lessons you take that you can pass on to the rest of us from having that experience? Life today is is still challenging. See, it's it comes with its its own tests, you know. But it's good. I have uh, I fought to get. I fought actually fought. I had to fight to get a state of mind which could free me you know i we call it over here stinking thinking you know i had to get out of thinking <laughs> and i had to, to get a thinking which was congruent and agreeable with the life that i wanted to live and so today that's what i do i call i consider myself a mind scientist uh, every morning that i get up i work on myself and i always say that if you fail to plant you plant to fail. So every morning that I get up, I plant my life intentionally. I plant intentionally the kind of life that I want to live from living a be nothing, do nothing, have nothing life to live in a be something, do something, have something life. It takes a ritual. It takes a regimen. It takes a routine. It takes a day in, day out good fight of faith. Life is a fight for territory. And the moment I start fighting for what I want, what I don't want would take its place. And so it takes a reconditioning. It takes a reprogramming. And it takes you doing this every 
single, even when you don't want to, even when I don't want to do it, I have to do it. When I don't feel like doing it, I have to do it. When I don't want to live up to the standards and the values that I know which uh, that will take me over, I have to do it. And so it's a it's a daily routine. I, I, I just say find your routine that works. Find you a system that works and work it. Find you some principles that work and work them. How long do I have to do this until you're producing the results? Yeah. Well, it seems you mentioned routine, see, because, again, part of my, the, in my chapter, um, as crazy as it might sound, and you need to see it in context, the, thing, the big change for me was a routine from uh, going from being... The, from going from being the depressed me to what I'm calling like the new me yeah. was to do the ironing every day. Ah, that one thing, right? Okay. Just that okay. one thing, but committing to do the ironing every day. Okay. And even now, and it's a long time since um, the old black dog came, came calling. But even today, every day, we'd have to do it every day now. Although since my daughter moved back in since COVID, I'm, there is more ironing again as it happens. <laughs> But when they need needs doing, I do it, right? And it's become what would have been seen as a chore and a, a negative is like a, a joyous thing for me because I associate it with, you know, the time I started to get better. So okay. I completely agree with you that uh, if you want to talk about peak performance, you know, we're talking about – because I think the other thing with this book is to say, you know, some remarkable things can happen if you see whatever challenges you have as a gift – I don't yeah. know if this is your view. I mean, obviously, when you're in the middle of it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't go, oh, thanks for that gift. Thanks a lot, right? right. Um, I think we all know the circumstances we're in at the minute. And I think there's two ways we can look at the circumstances we're in at the minute. One is, you know, it's the end of the world. I might, things will never, oh, we can see it as a gift and go, how, you know, we wouldn't have met probably if it weren't yeah. for this, you know, right. uh, I wouldn't have met Joe and we're right. having this what i think is a really interesting conversation well that's a gift isn't it right and the, and then don't know about it's been like for you as a motivational speaker but i've got to tell you there haven't been many gigs or events over here in front of a live audience debate so i've been doing most with all of my work here you know okay. virtually, and 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 doing various things on and i've got to meet some incredible people mm. that would never in a million years have dreamed of putting themselves in front of a camera and being in an audience <laughs> In the past, they might have come to a show, an event, or to the church, or whatever, but they wouldn't have come to see me. Yeah. So, so I think that's the thing. So, I think again, we need to have said that there's optimism in this darkness, you know. Yes, it is. And that, and that things, because my other, my other vision, or my mother, my purpose for being involved in this book is to think about. You mentioned your daughter and the impact we had on others. And I was in the fortunate position that my wife Candy was my rock during my challenging times with my okay. mental. You know, I was fortunate to have her. Um, but me and Joe's talked about this quite a few times that I think we we need to think that for me, this book will be will be also a gift for those people who are in the challenging position of having to help others that are suffering from mental illness and 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 depression and all those life challenges. And, and again, mm. it's giving those people tips and advice because I think it's it's hard enough for the person who's suffering, but the person watching them suffer. Mm. Again, in your case, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know if you, if your your mum and dad are still with us, but are your uh, family and friends who w were looking on how they felt at the time. But it must have been uh, incredibly upsetting for them. And I mean, you mentioned your daughter, but you know, your mum, dad, your grandparents—if they were around seeing you getting into that lifestyle, yeah, it must have been incredibly painful for them. It was. It, it was very. Um, 
it was very painful for them. And what I learned, Steve, and also Joe, what I learned is this, is that I also brought them into my victimhood, my state of, you know, being a victim. And uh, I brought them into my embarrassment. And, you know, I brought them into my lifestyle. And so I was, like you just said, I was not, I was not the only one in it and the only one being affected and impacted. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And can I just, just, can I just yes, mention something? Yeah. So, because we, I'd really like actually, just while you've mentioned that, Steve, I'd really like some accounts of that in the book. Um, yeah. Actually, um, I don't know if your candy would be prepared, Steve. Well, she's done a little bit, which she might do. She might do. She might write a little bit. But I think that's an interesting dynamic of the of people that are impacted by uh, mental ill health. You know, you know, my show. If the dog barks, there's a fine. So I don't know whose dog it is. Is it? Is it yours, Casey? Is it yours, Joe? It's mine. Right, it's mine. That's a fine, right? You owe me a cup of English tea at some point when we meet in the flesh. That's that's the fine on that. Yes, I think it's a massive debate, and I think although we're talking about uh, men, again, what maybe is a, I'm conscious of time. Maybe is a kind of sort of wrapping it up. One of the challenges we've talked about this side of the pond, Casey, is uh, is the whole notion of men finding it difficult to talk about their feelings. Mm. I mean, we're, we're focusing on mental health or whatever. What's your kind of feeling with that? And when you get, I mean, how, how good have you found other men at talking about these issues? Clearly, you're happy to talk about what you've experienced, but what's your view on that? And men in general talk, being able to talk about the feelings. Uh, it's in alignment with what you, with what you understand and what you see also about men. And I don't find that men are big expressors when it comes to expressing, you know, their feelings and. They're kind of recluse, and you know they they hide behind their ego instead of you know really expressing. I know I did, and I was taught that unconsciously, and I didn't want to talk about this for a long time. You know, it's been 25 years since I've been sober, and I didn't want to talk about this for a long time because I was afraid. I feared what other people, I feared the opinions of other people and it paralyzed me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, so so the, one of the debates we've had with the other authors on, on, on other um, uh, Facebook lives and stuff is the whole issue of vulnerability. Yes. That men find it very difficult, if not impossible, to be vulnerable because we're conditioned, using your words, mm -hmm. to see it as a weakness. Yes. You know, yes. now naming no names. But for example, there was somebody who came out on stage the other night to the theme tune Macho Macho Man. Ah. I'm a macho man. Now that I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna name any names. Yeah. I think you know what we're all talking about, right? And what I would say is I don't think that's helpful because <laughs> what that says is it creates strength with uh, not having, you know, being macho and I'm the man of the house and I have to be strong. And if you've got any kind of mental health condition or other things going on in your life, it makes it almost dib doubly difficult. To go, Hang on a minute, I'm struggling, I'm not fine. You know, mm -hmm. we talk a lot about, again, in the book, you know, my chapter talk about when you say to a man, are you okay? And they go, I'm fine. And I always go, ask him twice. Exactly. <laughs> because the second time they might go, well, actually, 
because the first time they have to front it up. And there's been some recent research on this that says in the States and in Europe and in Mexico, men are conditioned that, you know, big boys don't cry. And being vulnerable yes. is a weakness. So one of my passions is if, if together people like me and yourself and, and other authors go, do you know what? It's a strength. It is. And we need and, and you know, there's loads of people suffering. And if we give other people other men on everybody actually permission to tell their stories, yes, then yes. that's got to be good for us all. And let's drop this whole macho thing. That if you if you cry or you're vulnerable, you're less of a man. Mm. And and you guys are role models. You know, you are role models anyway, but you're role models because of this book now. Um, and I, I don't say that lightly, but you are. I was on the radio, as you know, on Saturday on LBC. The first chat, uh, the first phone-in was all about wearing masks in public. All men, lot, some women called in and contacted the, sh contacted the show about that segment. It then came on to the bit that I was in about loneliness and mental health. Not one single man contacted the show in any way wow. not 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 just didn't call in to go on the radio wow. but didn't contact the show in any way at all during a whole hour until the very end because the host said I cannot but he was shocked I cannot believe this there's not one single man that's been in touch about this topic about loneliness yeah. um, and he raised the point that I raised that was actually we struggle, don't we? Yes, yes. you do. Mm -hmm. And so you two are, are role models. So I'm just going to say thank you. For well, thank you. Well, I wear my role model lightly, you know. I, I, you know well, that's great. Well, it's been great. It's been great to meet you, Casey. Right? I'm very excited yeah. about reading your chapter in the book. You'll get to read mine. Uh, yes, thank you, Joe, yeah, for sure. coming Pleasure. up with the idea in the first okay. place. Um, we'll, be having, we'll chat with some of the other authors in, in a fortnight or so. Thanks well, very much. Definitely. Two weeks' time. See you then. Yeah. Bye. Pleasure to meet you, Steve. Same here.